0: Good morning and welcome to The Morning Briefing for Wednesday, February 28th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we'll talk to a former national commander of the American Legion about the Legion Storm the Hill event, as well as their centennial celebration, which kicks off later this year. And later on in the show, we'll be joined by representatives from the Hilton Hotel Company to talk about their amazing veteran programs. Did you know that there are already 10,000 vets working for Hilton? Did you know that they're looking to hire 20,000 more? Both of those things are true, and we'll find more about them and a whole lot more when the Hilton folks join us in just a little while. But first, let's welcome super producer Jake Hughes to the studio. Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how about you? I'm all right. Uh, Drive-in was a... Just a pain in the rear end, I guess, is the the clean way to say it. And I noticed something which I already mentioned to you, and that is when you're going 5 to 10 miles an hour for 6, 7 miles and there's just no real reason for it, there's no accident, there's no construction, it's just somebody was going slow and it caused everybody else to back up, and then things finally open up, there's always one or two cars that are just like, oh no, uh, I prefer to go 10 miles an hour. Speed limit's 50, but I'm just going to go 10. I got stuck behind that, like a truck that I don't know if it couldn't accelerate or what, but it was just, it wouldn't move. And the cars were moving so fast in the left lane. I'm in the right I on a two-lane uh, highway, the Baltimore-Washington Parkway. I couldn't get over. So I'm just stuck behind this truck that's barely moving. And it's like, what? what are you doing? Did you it, lay on the horn? Uh, a couple of times I beeped, but it did no good. And finally, it was just I waited until there was enough room on the left to get over safely. But it was just like, I, if your car is not capable of going faster than that, it shouldn't be on the road. Get it off the road. It's as simple as that. No, I, Was it like a big truck or like a civilian? Uh, like no, a like, like, a, my like truck. a truck with a bunch of lawnmowers in the back. Like oh. a, like a, not a, not a, uh somebody's pickup but like in between that and a big it was like a work truck basically okay um a landscaping truck it looked like and just going so slow and didn't didn't speed up didn't slow down don't know i mean if your max speed is 10 miles an hour i'm fairly certain you're not allowed to legally be on the road in that at least on a highway so yeah it was uh it was frustrating when you're sitting there, and then it goes from frustrating to funny, just like, right, yeah. like okay. It reaches
1: that point where it's like that <laughs> little engine in you kicks yeah, in. And it's like, and people, I want this to suck more.
0: There's people behind you, and they're slowing down, and then when you think you see what might be a spot for you to get over, nope, because one of the people behind you saw it first, so they get over into that. I just, I, I really, really, really think we need to do regular licensing tests, and they need to be hard. I think there should be like a 40% based on what I see on the road. There should be a 40% fail rate for your driver's license exam because 40% of the people I see out there, four out of 10 cars are doing something very wrong regularly, regularly. So let's make it hard and let's make it nicer for the people who do know how to drive. You know, like if you, uh, if you want to be an accountant, if you want to be a certified public accountant and you don't do perfectly on that exam, guess what? They don't let you be an accountant anyway. Like, let's make the driver's exam more difficult, and let's make there be regular intervals for everyone to have to retake it. But that's not fair to people that have to get to work, Eric. I don't care about those people. Take the bus. Mass transit. It's better for the planet, don't you know, Jake? It's better for the planet to take the bus and to take the train than for a billion people to be out there in their cars. Right, Driving a car is not a right You don't have the right to drive a car. There are plenty of people who don't get to to work without driving a car. That's what mass transit is for. In New York City, almost nobody drives a car, which is amazing that there's so much traffic there. It's mostly people coming in from Long Island and New Jersey. But yeah, I mean that you know mass transit. Sorry, don't
1: worry. They'd, they'd find some way to make it bigoted in some way.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure, and people would be offended by it, and that's of course, the, uh, and and people would just ignore it. I mean, there are people. There was a guy who was just arrested. I heard this on the news on hmm, Friday or Saturday. A guy was arrested. Uh, for driving on a suspended license. His license had been suspended 32 years ago, 1986. He'd been driving since then, just now got caught, uh, apparently, for the final time. Uh, he's now facing time in prison for uh, aggravated driving on a suspended license, I think it was. But he uh, <laughs> he had something like 47 violations before his license got suspended or taken away, revoked, I think, is what it was. Uh, he was in, like, 22 And a guy of 40 something. No, if you get like five violations by the time you're 22, get rid of that person's license for the rest of their life. And if it's inconvenient for them, well, tough. I'm sure it's inconvenient for people who get DUIs to not be able to drive their cars. Too bad. You screwed up. You're not good at this. You get that privilege taken away. There's where people can use the word privilege correctly. It's something that you are not born with the inalienable right to do. It's something that is offered by society to everyone, and something that can be taken away. And it should be for forty percent of the drivers on the road. That's that still all I'm hates, saying. It's still hate speech. That's fine. Oh yeah, I hate forty percent of the drivers on the road. <laughs> I'm not shy about that fact. I'm not trying to hide it from anybody. I dislike four out of ten drivers, and they may be wonderful people in their real lives. I'm going to guess they're not. I'm going to guess they're uh, just they they live their life the way that they drive yeah.
1: stupidly. You've built this picture of them in your head of what of the based on their driving habits of just how oh, they're yeah.
0: a horrible person. And if you drive a minivan, whew, chances are, chances are, I don't know what it is about minivans. The worst drivers I see on a day-to-day basis, and I, I used to tell friends when I was, uh, you know, commuting into New York, and I would—it was less expensive to take my motorcycle into New York than it is to tra- take the train. Train was like forty dollars round trip plus subway fare uh, to get from Penn Station down to where I worked. Whereas on the motorcycle, parking was free. I could always find free parking on a motorcycle, and it, co- it costs a little bit of gas to go twenty whatever miles. It was also faster, typically, to take the motorcycle in. <laughs> But I would tell friends, if I get hit while I'm on this thing and I'm killed, it's going to be by a minivan. Mark my words. And I was like, you'll laugh because if I get killed on my way into work one day, it's going to be a minivan that done it.
1: If you did get killed, I would laugh.
0: They're, that's <laughs> horrible to say. <laughs> minivans <laughs> and trucks. Pickup trucks and minivans are the worst uh, drivers overall. Pickup trucks just being uh, overly aggressive, which is weird because the point of balance and center of gravity on them is raised and forward loaded, which makes them more likely to tip over. So the aggressive driving doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and then minivans, it's just a mixture of everything. Some of them too aggressive, some of them too sheepish, some of them just not paying attention to anything else that's on the road. I want to go over here now. Did you check your, Oh, Nope. You didn't check your mirrors. You're just swinging over there. That's what would always scare me the most in New York. If you're driving aggressively, I can see you coming in my rear view or, See you in front of me. If you're one of these people that just switches lanes without signaling, just, oh, no, I want to be in that lane now. Whoop! There we go. No, immediately. That would terrify me. And a couple of times they almost got hit. And it, almost every time it was a minivan doing it. All right, taking a look at the real news around the world. Uh, yesterday, the Marine Corps ID'd. The sailor fatally struck by the helicopter tail rotor blade that we talked about on Monday. Turns out it was a Navy doctor, Lieutenant James A. Mazzucchelli. He was killed after being struck by the tail rotor of a UH-1Y Venom helicopter on February 21st. Uh, of course, he passed away this weekend. So he was hit on the 21st, which was last Wednesday. Passed away on Saturday. They've now identified him. Mazzucchelli 32 years old. He was a flight surgeon with Marine Light Attack Helicopter Squadron 267 of 3rd Marine Air Wing. Uh, He was transported to Scripps La Jolla Medical Facility in critical condition, according to the Marine Corps, on Friday. Uh, Or that's what they said on Friday. And then on Saturday, as we said, uh, he passed away. So uh, this is a uh, a horrible thing. Um, And actually... Guy uh, is from a place that I was stationed. He was from Orange Park, Florida. And let's see, look at it. Let's see, How long ago was I in Orange Park? 2005 to 2008. So let's go 13 years ago. He was probably, uh, you know, just headed off to college from Orange Park when I lived there. Uh, it's uh, part of Jacksonville, essentially, uh, to the, the west of Jacksonville. Uh, he served for nearly eight years, including a deployment to Japan in 2016 Uh, Colonel Matthew Mowry, who's the commanding officer of Marine Aircraft Group 39, said in a press release that Lieutenant James Mazzucchelli was an incredibly talented physician and sailor. His contagious enthusiasm, motivation, and love for the Marines and sailors of HMLA-267 and MAG-39 has been evident in the outpouring of grief at his loss and the support being shown to his family and close friends. The incident is uh, under investigation by the Marine Corps. How horrible for everybody involved. Can you imagine being the pilot of that aircraft or anybody on that flight crew? Like the guy walked into the tail rotor somehow. You don't know how that happened. I mean, that's one of those things. You'd think, yeah, it's easy not to easy to do, yeah. You would think, but maybe it is. Maybe he was in a rush to get to the helicopter, didn't realize that it was. I mean, when they are rotating at full speed, you cannot realize that they're there. They're, I mean, they're basically just a blur. He might not have seen it. Um, there, I mean, there's it could it's under investigation, so you don't know. It could it have been intentional, yeah, I guess. I mean, there have been people who've committed suicide by walking into uh airplane rotors and things like that, propellers, rotors. I mean, it's possible, but it was—it uh, was—that's that, horrible, man, and for everybody involved in that. Obviously, not intentional by the helicopter uh, by the helicopter crew, the aircraft crew had uh, you would think nothing to do with this. Unless the only thing I could think is they said the helicopter was on the ground, but you now helicopters can sometimes rotate while they're on the ground. The pilot yeah. can do that to get it pointed in the direction that they want to do. That's the only thing I could think, and that actually kind of makes more sense than many other things if they had turned didn't see him where he was the ground crew uh, didn't catch him I mean that's the other thing there's ground crew who are you know in in charge of that aircraft while it's on the ground until the pilot gets it off in the air they're the ones who tell the pilot what to do where to go essentially Um, apparently none of them saw him or were able to stop him or who knows but of course we've got a, a navy flight surgeon now deceased after being hit by that tail rotor sticking with the marine corps You know, what did they threaten soldiers with when you were in the army, Jake, as far as like, if you get in trouble, the worst thing that can happen to you, you can be sent to Leavenworth. I mean, was that the worst thing that they would, uh, they would threaten people with?
1: Well, yeah, if you did bad, really bad things that, you know, you get sent off to Leavenworth, but most of the time it was just, you know, the the dreaded 45 and 45.
0: So, yeah, 45-45. 45 days on restriction, 45 days on uh, extra duty. Extra duty uh, you know, probably a withholding of pay and reduction yeah. and rank and all that stuff. Well, at Camp Hanson, Okinawa, the Marine Corps has a CCU. Did you guys have those in the Army? What's a CCU? Correctional custody unit. Uh, I think we had them locally on each post, yeah. We did in the Navy. I know in uh, Norfolk is the place that it was Something that I was very familiar with because it seemed like every week we were sending people from our ship over to CCU, uh, including a guy who I went to boot camp with who was on my ship, uh, a guy named Dick, who was uh, had a problem waking up, I think, is what the biggest issue was. Yeah, he. Uh, he worked at a of uh, like a bike shop or something and then also hung out at a bar and helped bartend there and would be out until like three o'clock in the morning and surprise surprise wasn't showing up at six thirty, six forty five 30 for quarters every morning uh he was late just habitually so they sent him there a couple of times i think they sent this guy there and they were trying to uh you know correct his behavior did it work i don't really believe so i think he eventually got out of the navy a little bit earlier than he had planned but uh yeah it was a uh It's an interesting place. Well, the Marine Corps officials have delayed the opening of a new correctional custody unit at Camp Hanson, Okinawa. This is being reported by Marine Corps Times. It was initially scheduled to open its doors on Valentine's Day. Wow. That's fun. Hey, happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to the clink. That's essentially what it is. It is. It's almost like going back to boot camp is what it is, but only the really sucky parts of boot camp, the push in and all that stuff. All the things that you didn't like about boot camp, uh, not like going through classes and stuff like that. You're, you're doing cleanup duty, physical training, all that stuff all day long uh, to try and uh, basically beat some sense into you without any of the beating. The plans change and the opening was pushed back now until May 2nd. And this is according to Marine Corps installations Pacific. Now it's been several years. They say since the Marine Corps last operated a correctional custody unit. And this is uh This is a place that's going to have hard labor, man. The picture that Marine Corps Times has is from the Marine Corps, uh, taken by a Sergeant Jessica Collins, of Brig Marines simulating hard labor during a demonstration of Correctional Custody Unit at Camp Hansen, Okinawa. Guess what they're doing to demonstrate the hard labor, Jake? Like, if you think of people in prison, what do they do? Well, old school, I always think like breaking rocks. but. Breaking rocks, old really? Old school, baby. This is the Marine Corps. They they like old school. That's kind of their thing. Uh, it's prison, essentially. There's another picture that uh, again, from the Sergeant Jessica Collins obviously demonst- demonstrative purposes that they were putting on a demonstration of it uh, of the Marines standing outside of their uh, <laughs> suites, I guess you could call them, although there's no kitchen. It, it looks like a modern day prison. And that's essentially what it is. It's people who, who get in trouble and they need a little bit more than a 45-45. They need you know, thirty days, and I think that was the maximum at the uh, the correctional custody unit in Norfolk that they had uh, when I was there. I think thirty days was the maximum that you could be there. But uh, it's 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 very interesting. They also here is a here is a good one. So to be assigned to the unit, Marines must receive a non judicial punishment under Article Fifteen of the UCMJ. Marines attending the CCU are then known as awardees. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! You're breaking rocks. Here's your hammer, and in the picture of them breaking the rocks again, and this is a good story by Sean Snow in uh, Marine Corps Times. The picture of them breaking rocks has these guys wearing uh, flak jackets while using sledgehammers, and uh, of course, IPro. You got to have your IPro naturally. Well, you're breaking rocks. That's one of the places where IPro is probably legitimately a, a necessity. You know what? Always <laughs> the IPro thing, like on the range. I don't recall anybody ever getting hit in the eye. When you think about like the M16 or the M4, where's the ejection go? That Out, way. Yeah. It goes outwards. The only way, I guess, if it hit something next to you and bounced back, but I never saw that happen. Now, on certain other weapons like the, the M60 or the 249, okay, every once in a while, you'd get some weird stuff happening there where they pop backwards or whatever, but yeah, anyway, they got their eye pro on while they're breaking rocks at this demonstration on January 12th. You know, I, I wonder... The February fourteenth, if some if they had someone who like they wanted to send there and then had it open scheduled to open on February fourteenth, that they were telling them like, oh February fourteenth, you're going there, and then it got delayed. How happy do you think those Marines were? Over the moon. Uh, there are other alternatives, of course, according to the Marine Corps, such as administrative separation, restriction, extra duty, forfeitures. Uh, however, the Marine Corps believes that CCU has the capability to motivate a Marine really motivate a marine and produce a far more fit, disciplined, capable and fired up marine back into the ranks. Mm. I guess maybe. I mean, you know, some of them might want to be fired up and like I don't want to go back there. I remember one of the one of the guys I knew who went, who was at CCU a couple times who came back and was like, "Yeah, I kind of liked it there." <laughs> I think he'll probably end up back there eventually, sure enough, he did. but See, you know it's
1: that's the one thing one of the things I learned on the drill sergeant trail is that motivation comes from, from within. I can yell at you and scream at you and push you and do all this other stuff. If you're not motivated, you're not gonna perform and no. to the point where like if these guys don't want to be in the Marine Corps anymore, this isn't gonna work. yeah, that's yeah. just me though,
0: oh yeah, no I it's uh it's. Yeah. Listen, is it? Does it serve a purpose? Oh, sure, it'll serve a purpose. It's a, it's a punitive purpose, though. Oh, yeah. I mean- well, they, they, I think they know that, and I think that, you know, officially, people like, uh, you know, this chief warrant officer, the brig commanding officer at Camp Butler, Japan, his name is uh, Brian Shepard, he's a Marine Corps warrant officer, uh, who says, This will provide an opportunity for good Marines to recover from a slight misstep, as well as return to the ranks free of stigma with an opportunity for redemption. Okay, nonsense. I'm going to call you out on that yeah, one. Uh-huh. Free of stigma? Oh, that guy just was at the brig. He was at jail. That's that's a there's a stigma right there. He's gonna come back, he's gonna be the jailbird. You think there's no stigma attached to that. I'm sorry, Warren, you're out of your mind. Yeah, and the word you use punitive, that's what it is. It's not yeah. rehabilitative, it's punitive. No, but I think and they the, need the, to and, push and
1: it. And that I know way. they can't admit that, but and I think that's a down, that's a downfall
0: of the military. We need to just say, yeah, it's punitive. Slight misstep is the other thing that the Warren Officer Shepherd says there. No, no, no. A slight misstep is you know, I had a sailor who worked for me who was uh, accused of providing alcohol to uh, underage sailors. I didn't like the fact that they went after this first off because it was at a, a a barracks room on base, and it was like these barracks where it was essentially a house where they shared. There were like four rooms and they shared a kitchen. She had alcohol there, and the kids came in and drank the the alcohol. Like it wasn't hurt. She didn't offer it to them. They just used it. She was allowed to have it there, but they were saying like, no, there's. This was uh, in a place where I've already talked about how Guam was kind of ridiculous with the alcohol restrictions and regulations and uh, dropping the age on base so that it was lower than out in town so that or higher raising the age on base so that it was higher than out in town. So that uh, you know, the kids would then be forced to go out in town to go have a beer or something like that. And then if they came back uh, and they were given a breathalyzer, which they were given out left and right at that place, uh, they could be hit for it. But, you know, that's a slight misstep. That's like, okay, technically, by the rules, you weren't allowed to have a bottle of vodka. You did, and a 19-year-old or 20-year-old got their hands on it and drank it. And, okay, you didn't officially do it, but you left it there, and those are the rules, and that's the way that it works. That's a slight misstep. She wasn't going a correction of custody unit for that. No sailor's going for that. The, the, you know A slight misstep is like, oh, you know, he was uh, late for quarters a couple times. That's a slight misstep. They send you to the brig for serious stuff, man. Stealing, dereliction of duty, assault, uh, disrespecting a, a senior officer. There's like s- these are serious missteps to get you sent there. But you know, sometimes you get those, uh, particularly in the Marine Corps, you get those people, the gunnies and the warrants, and all those people who speak in this very unique Marine Corps language, where they kind of undersell or oversell everything depending on what it is. Yeah, anything that's uh, at all good is like fantastic and anything that's bad, well, it's just a little bit bad. It's really not that awful. Like, no, you're sending these dudes to prison to break rocks. That's about as bad as it gets, man. Let's, let's be honest about it. So, uh, other things that you can uh, take a look at today if you're looking for veteran news out there, you can, of course, visit connectingvets.com. Entercom's connectingvets.com is connecting vets every day. We've got a bunch of interesting stories on there. And this one with a haunting photo that's uh, the main story on the site right now it says, Days before dying, a VA doctor is still worried about her patients. So, Jonathan Copanger, works for us now, used to work for the VA. His story starts off, there's been more than 1,000 whistleblower disclosures at Veterans Affairs since the Office of Accountability and Whistleblower Protection was created in June of last year, but only one is coming from beyond the grave. That's ah, kind of creepy. Ooh. Five days Sorry. before she died from cancer. Dr. Sarah Campbell finished a 23-page affidavit on what she said was substandard care at the VA. You can go and check out this story and find out how this doctor, uh, her final wish, according to her, I mean, literally, she wrote, it is my final wish to complete this affidavit so I can attempt to change systemic and dangerous, dangerous patient care, dangerous practices, and public safety issues. I, that's dedication. We need to name a hospital after Dr. Yeah. Kemble is what we need to do. We need to name uh, the the, the Doctor Sarah Kemble Whistleblower and uh, Accountability Act. You know, this is that's exactly what you're looking. for. This we want to talk about dedication, absolute dedication. So she worked at the VA Central Western Massachusetts Healthcare System in Leeds, Massachusetts. That is. That's out in like that. That's country Massachusetts, and that's where a lot of the Massachusetts veterans come from. There are two areas that they come from: three really, a bunch from Boston and the surrounding area, some from Springfield, and then kind of out in the woods, out in uh, you know the the old New England part of uh, of Massachusetts, which is uh, an interesting state. It's kind of like my home state of Connecticut, except they have uh, dumb accents. Unlike us, we talk like <laughs> normal people. So uh, it, the whole western half of Massachusetts is very rural. It's just forests and hills and mountains and a beautiful place and then of course the eastern half much more urban uh, with a, a few you know cities uh, dotted through here and there. Similar with Connecticut, the northwest part of the state and the and the northeast part of the state very rural uh, the southern part of the state is incredibly developed with uh, pretty much I think something like 75 80 percent of the the population of Connecticut lives in one county, the county that I'm from where you have, three of the five biggest cities located Fairfield County. So yeah. Uh, interesting that she was out there dealing with these veterans and uh, said that, you know, her dying wish, why was that her dying wish? Well, you need to go to connecting to find out. You'll see that picture. It's uh, a shadowy figure standing among gravestones. looks like perhaps at Arlington, but definitely at a military cemetery there. Um, this is a, uh, uh, a fascinating story. It just shows you the dedication for those who who worry about the dedication of those at the VA. And I want to touch on something that we spoke about yesterday, Jake, and that is I brought up, you know, hey, if you're a, a VA employee, but the uh, healthcare at the Mayo Clinic is better for you. Well, I got tweeted at by a listener, a specific listener who will be here tomorrow, Joe Schinelli, who said, hey, veterans are getting treated at the Mayo Clinic already. And, uh, you know, He he said, you know, if it's decided that it's the best care for them, that's where they go. My response to that is who's deciding that it's the best care for them and is cost ever part of the discussion. So we'll be able to discuss that with Joe tomorrow on AMVETS Thursday here on The Morning Briefing. Still to come today, we talked yesterday, so it's it's, uh, pre-recorded, but we were able to speak with past National Commander of the American Legion, David Rabine, about the Storm the Hill event and the upcoming centennial. Hundred years since the American Legion started. That kicks off later this year. We were able to talk to him about all of that and more. And then later on in the show, Hilton. You know Hilton Hotels, right, Jake? Oh yeah. Ten thousand veterans working for him already, and they're looking to hire twenty thousand more. We're gonna have Hilton live in studio, not Paris, thankfully. Ugh, Other thank people you. from the Hilton organization. Morning briefing back after this. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and ConnectingVets.com. Well, that is your website created by veterans for veterans, focusing on the veteran experience. You need to find help? Yeah, that's where you want to go to do it. Whether you're looking for a job, whether you're looking for help with the VA, whatever you're looking for, we've got it in our Get Help section. And, of course, we've got the latest and greatest news and information available on the site Brought to you by a team that really knows of what they speak because each and every one of us is either a veteran themselves or very closely related. How closely? Well, one member of our team is married to a veteran. But Jake and myself, 13 years in the Army for Jake, 13 in the Navy for me, add us together like Voltron, 26-year E12. It's extremely impressive. Also, it's nonsense. But the truth is, vets.com is connecting vets every day and doing everything we can To get that good information out to you. So, hey, follow us on social media, at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Share the stories with your friends, your family, people you think might be interested that might need some assistance. That's what we're here for. Help us get the word out so we can help as many veterans as possible. We are about to speak to representatives from... A pretty amazing organization, a very well-known organization, not just for the socialite heiresses that are affiliated with it, but for their amazing facilities around the world and, as you're about to find out, for their amazing programs that help out the veteran community. Right now we have one of them here, the other one, well, she's tardy. That's a term (laughs) you don't hear too often from uh, uh, outside of school, but we are joined by Christina Serenese, who's from Hilton worldwide sales specifically government and military group sales. Christina, good morning. How are you today?
3: Good morning. I'm well. Thank you so
0: Come much. Come a little for bit closer. To the, there you go. Pull the Sorry. chair in. No, oh, that's okay. First we are
3: <laughs> <timer>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It happens. So, as we were talking before we went live on the air, uh, you yourself are not a veteran. However, you have a very close tie to the military yourself. So tell us just a little bit about that.
3: I do. Uh, my hero and big brother, Peter Saragnes, is stationed down at Camp Lejeune. Um, he went to Virginia Military Institute and is a proud United States Marine. So, there you
0: go. Yeah. VMI, a wonderful place for people to go. Uh, you know, you don't always have to go to the military academies, there are other schools like VMI. The Citadel, who are, of course, VMI's big rivals. Uh-huh. Yeah, you,
3: too. Yeah,
0: you know <laughs> She doesn't even want to talk about them. And, of course, you are part of the Hilton team, dealing specifically with government and military sales. So let me ask, how did you come to be involved in that aspect of the business that Hilton does, dealing with the government and military?
3: Absolutely. Well, I've been um, working with this for about five years now. Obviously, with my brother, it hits very close to home. Um, so being able to take care of veterans and work in the government and military market has been something I've been very passionate about. Um, I'm not one for doing push-ups so <laughs> joining the military myself uh, is not is not something that was a route for me but being able to serve them and take care of them um, is something that I was very passionate about and a way that I can contribute. So um, being in this role I oversee uh, the government and military sales for our 5100 properties around the world. Right, Being able to source that out and coach our hotels to ensure that they're giving our veterans and veteran businesses Um, Top-notch quality service,
0: and I believe Homewood Suites—that's one of the Hilton organizations, right? That
3: is one of our suite products. We have fourteen different brands within our portfolio that we're very, very proud of. And
0: yeah, (laughs) I stayed at a Homewood Suites when I was at uh, what we call in the Navy a sea school, so an advanced training uh, towards the end of my Navy career, and it was fantastic. Big bathroom, big bedroom, nice kitchen and living room. At at that point in my life. I don't think I owned an HD television and there were two of them. There was one in the living room area of that part of the suite and one in the bedroom. I felt like a King living in that place. So I can speak well of those, but more importantly than Hilton's actual facilities are the programs. And we're going to talk about one right now. And before we talk about it, I want to play a little video that comes from the Hilton website. So this is about how they want to expand their veteran hiring commitment. Check it out. Oh, I can press play. Here at Hilton, we don't want to just say we're hiring our vets. We're going to prove it out. That's an indescribable, cool feeling. It is uh, unlike any company I've ever worked for. Hilton is a company that is really backing up
1: their talk with play. We've been strongly committed to veterans for nearly a uh, hundred years. Our founder, Conrad Hilton, was in the U.S. Army. What we realized a few years back is that we were going to have veterans that were going to be coming back. We wanted to be part of a solution for making sure that they had a great life to come back to.
0: One of the first initiatives we had was Operation Opportunity, and it was a simplistic goal. Hire 10,000 vets uh, or their spouses over a five-year period.
1: I'm really happy to say that we have already hired 10,000 veterans. We're two years ahead of schedule, and I'm going to push our team to add another 20,000 veterans
0: and their families. So there you go.
3: For them. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I, and, and it really is a, a wonderful program that they have. And again, 10,000 hired, 20,000 to go. That's 30,000 employees. That is a significant number. So... How many employees does Hilton have on a worldwide scale? Do you know that?
3: I I do not. I'm <laughs> embarrassed <there> you go. <laughs> to say that I do not. 30,000
0: has got to be a significant chunk of it, I would think. I mean, you work in government and military sales, so let me ask you specifically, Christina, and that is... Do you actually work with, I mean, are there veterans working within the organization that you deal with uh, regularly?
3: Oh, absolutely. Our director of security at our Doubletree in Crystal City, he is a Marine veteran. Um, Brian Armstrong, who is on our Operation Opportunity Team, is also a Marine veteran. Um, So they're at each and every one of our properties throughout this country, and we are so proud to have them with us.
0: And looking at that video, I mean, people could hear it. They couldn't see it. The chief risk officer for Hilton is a U.S. Army veteran. He was on there. Dennis McCarthy is his name. They also have Michael Leidinger. He is a U.S. Navy veteran. And the chief technology officer for Hilton uh, looks like, based on the video, he's got a uh, submarine warfare pin on there. Uh, Looks like an enlisted one. So maybe a prior enlisted guy who then rose to become the CTO of this massive company. It shows that Hilton is hiring veterans, not just at the ground level. I mean, you're not just looking for uh, cleaners or cooks or things like that. You're looking for people from all walks of life, aren't you?
3: Absolutely. And and there's endless possibilities. I think one of the things that I'm also most proud of is for our spouses. And we know that they're they're traveling all over and we have work from home jobs that are you know, they telework and are able to to work with flexible hours. It's just we're really committed to making sure that their futures um, are successful because we know their sacrifices of their past. And that's truly what we're committed to at Hilton.
0: It's good to know that there's a company out there like Hilton that's, that's willing to do this. And when you look at the website, I mean, just the list of groups and awards that have given Hilton the stamp of approval. Military Times, uh, 2016 Best for Vets Employers, uh, Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve, U.S. Veterans Best of the Best, Military Spouse, Military-Friendly Employees, Hiring Our Heroes, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, all these organizations that say Hilton is doing wonderful things. But let me ask you a question as a representative of Hilton, someone with a brother serving in the Marine Corps. Why should a veteran want to come work for Hilton? What makes Hilton an attractive destination for a veteran?
3: I mean, we were just recently named one of the top 100 companies to work for in the world. Um, And I think when you work for a company that's committed To making sure that you and your family are taken care of and it goes all the way from our founder to current executive members for our company. It it just shows that full commitment from, you know, from the inception all the way through uh, your career as long as you want to stay with us.
0: You know, you mentioned the founder, and we're speaking with Christina Saregnese, as she likes to pronounce. I go with Saregnese. I was stationed in Sicily, man. I got to do the the proper pronunciation. But uh, Christina is, of course, a representative from Hilton. She is uh, part of the worldwide sales team dealing with government and military group sales. Her brother serves in the Marine Corps as a captain. Uh, You know, you talked about the founder of Hilton, Conrad Hilton, who I know from Mad Men is just like this weird TV character that I think was partially based on the real person, uh, although not in full. And that's a show based, you know, 60 years ago now, 70 years ago, whatever it is, I guess 60, yeah, 60. So this is a company that's, that's got deep roots and it's not going anywhere. Do you think that's a benefit also for veterans who are looking for a career knowing that Hilton is such a stable company that's, that's been around for a while and has such a strong future ahead of it as well?
3: Absolutely, we're we're getting ready to celebrate our 100th birthday, um, which for any company is such a milestone. Right. And the first Hilton Conrad went to go buy a bank, and it was already sold. So the first Hilton was purchased with a GI bill. Um, so I mean, from from the start of this company all the way through almost 100 years, I mean, it's something really solid to to bank on.
0: There are also, you know, on the on the website, and you can go to jobs.hilton.com slash military, there are testimonials from veterans that are on there, including one of my fellow sailors, former Petty Officer Third Class Brandon Johannes, who is uh, an administrat- assistant, administrative assistant at Hilton Association Group Sales, so obviously working uh, kind of in the same area that you do, saying, hey, I love what I do, and I know I serve a purpose. Let Hilton be that fresh start that you desire. You won't be disappointed. It's great to hear things like that. You know, to hear, I mean, we hear a lot of businesses talk about how they want to hire veterans. We hear lots of businesses tout the numbers that they've hired. We don't often hear from the veterans that work there on how great it is to work there. The veterans that you do deal with, you were talking about uh, security officers and things like that, people like Brandon here working in group sales. Uh, are, do they all seem to be very happy with their position at Hilton and their involvement with the company when you when you interact with them?
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's the strong alignment mission. Hilton's mission is to spread the light and warmth of hospitality throughout the world. I mean, you joined the military and for what? It was to serve your country. Um, Hilton, we're here to serve others. And that's really at the core of it. And so when you're doing something that you're passionate about, i.e. serving others, you know, you really have that fulfillment in your career.
0: Right. And here's an interesting thing. Also, when looking through that website, and I apologize, I've got a little frog in my throat that doesn't (laughs) seem to want to go away. When you go down, it actually has some information that's beneficial to veterans. When we talk to the veteran service organizations, whether it's the American Legion, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, all these different organizations that work to help veterans find employment and find uh, their path after they finish serving, they talk about a few things that tend to be uh, recurring issues for veterans, such as writing a resume. You don't have to write a resume to join the military. You don't have to write one while you're in the military. The closest thing is a military evaluation, which is uh, different. It's it's not the same as a resume. It's, it's more everything from the last year, not an overarching career. Uh, document as a resume is, and preparation for interviews. Another thing that you rarely, if ever, have to do in the military, looking at the Hilton website, they have a whole segment on interview preparation with videos and tips and things on how you can make yourself a better interviewer, interviewee for the interviewer and make yourself Make it aware to the person from human resources, the interviewer, essentially, or the recruiter, why you are a good person or the right person for them to hire. And also the resume preparation. They've got videos on that. Five things you need to know. 19 reasons why this is an excellent resume with an example of what it should look like. This kind of shows me that Hilton is not just looking for the PR of, hey, we want to hire 20,000 veterans. We have 10,000. Well, if you have a million employees, 10,000 is, you know, it's great, but it's it's a small portion of them they are actively looking for them and trying to help them find work within Hilton. Is that something that you've noticed from the company, that there is this this true desire to serve the veteran community and not just to get the good publicity of hiring veterans for for the sake of hiring veterans?
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because we put our testimonials out there. We want you to reach out to our veterans who work for our company because they are so committed to it and they're passionate about it and they want to share their stories because they know what our veterans are going through as they're coming out of the military and into civilian life. That's why we have people like Brian Armstrong on our team. So you can talk to somebody who can relate to you because they've been through it themselves. And Hilton is a huge network. I mean, I have over 100 client accounts myself. If we can't find you the right job here at Hilton, we'll put you in touch with who who else might be out there and better suited for you. I mean, we're just committed to making sure that – they are able to live the life that they deserve post-military.
0: And that is a big thing. And we're speaking with Christina Serignis. She is from Hilton Worldwide Sales, Government and Military Group Sales. Her brother is a captain in the Marine Corps, and we've been speaking to her about the amazing initiative that Hilton has going forward to hire veterans. They've hired 10,000 already through Operation Opportunity, and they're looking for 20,000 more. And now... We're joined by the aforementioned Tardy member of the Hilton team. It's okay. Traffic was bad this morning. I know. I had issues getting in. I only got here a few minutes before the show started, and I'm the host. So that's probably made it just in time. Lauren Bacon is the senior manager of military programs, including Operation Opportunity, at the Hilton organization. And the thing that I want to ask you, Lauren, and that we've been talking to Christina about is, you know, the importance of adding veterans to the team. And with you working as the senior manager of military programs, Tell me from the Hilton perspective, why is it that Hilton wants to add 20,000 veterans to the 10,000 that you already have on board?
2: Yeah, sure. So Hilton um, was founded by a veteran, Conrad Hilton. So we've honestly always really naturally hired a lot of veterans and military spouses. Um, You know, when we made a concentrated effort around it, we saw a huge success. There's so many similar values. Veterans and spouses are bringing so many unique skill sets that fit in a lot of different areas of our business. So um, adding the 20,000 more was really kind of a no-brainer. Um, we are growing at an extremely fast pace. We are always looking for new talent. And the hospitality area in certain industry, or certain areas can be, um, you know, it's hard to find that good talent. So the military pool is just, Makes sense for us to be tapping into that that talent there.
0: It absolutely does, and of course, we've been talking about uh, Conrad Connie Hilton, as yeah. I knew him from Mad Men, as we've also talked about already, <laughs> who did serve in the army during World War One and was actually over in France. Uh, you know, was was very proud of his military service and something that you know, even though he's been, he died the year I was born, so he died thirty eight years ago. It's something that the company has certainly uh, kept as something that is a focus of them with hiring ten thousand veterans so far and 20,000 veterans more looking to add to the Hilton team. We're speaking with Lauren and Christina. Lauren, Senior Manager of Military Programs, including Operation Opportunity, and Christina from Hilton Worldwide Sales, Government and Military Group Sales. Lauren, veterans, as we were just talking about with Christina, it's it's amazing that Hilton has on their their Operation Opportunity uh, website, their Military Careers website, tools to help them become a better interview because that's something that veterans tend to struggle with, kind of self-promotion we're not very good at. I'm okay at it, but that's that's a different <laughs> story. The uh, and also with resumes, something that we don't typically deal with. Can you tell me beyond those two things, what are some of the the issues that veterans seem to have when they're looking for work? Maybe members of your team that might have struggled in the past and, and things that they told you about, uh, you know, how they were able to overcome that and become part of the Hilton team.
2: Sure, yeah. One of the things that we do is try to connect with as many of the veterans and spouses that we're hiring through the program to, to hear about their story and kind of learn from them. Um, and, you know, I think – Being out there, going to a lot of these bases, and um, talking to people that are getting ready to transition, I think the biggest struggle is kind of that um, gap in communication. Service members have a hard time explaining what they did in the military to them. You know, they were just doing their job. They were not going above and beyond. What they were doing was not extraordinary to them. So, um, you know, everything to them is about what they did as a team versus what they did as an individual. From the you know corporate side of things, the recruiters they want somebody to sell themselves. They want um, somebody to explain why should we hire you, and um, you know a lot of our recruiters have no uh, experience in the military or have no um, don't even maybe know somebody that served in the military. So then they you know are not going to be able to pull it out of them what they did. So there's that, you know, kind of lost in translation of mm. you have all these amazing skills and experiences but trying to communicate that in the right way that that recruiter is going to understand. Um, I think that that's, you know, probably the the broadest challenge across any industry for for veterans.
0: I, I think you're absolutely right about that. and And, you know, when you are in the civilian world, as I've noticed, and you talk about uh, a team accomplishment, that's good. But you also need to be able to identify how you contributed to that team accomplishment exactly. because, there are people who just kind of glom on to a team like enter there kind of in the ether floating around the outside that don't really do anything. Try to take credit for it. If you can identify how you were able to contribute and find a way to uh, kind of civilianize the yep. what you did in the military, don't use acronyms. For God's sake, do not use acronyms. <laughs> if you if you have a military acronym, even something as simple as you would think, serving in the military is NCO, non-commissioned officer, that means absolutely nothing to your average HR person. Yeah. Do not do it. Don't use acronyms. There are tools out there as well, and, and Hilton is providing links to so many tools. There are other ones that are available through the American Legion, the VFW, w Higher Heroes USA, and all these other amazing organizations that will kind of help you write a resume and look at it and, again, just avoid the acronyms, but don't avoid your military service. Would you say that's a, a good idea? Because I think there are also veterans who are kind of, they, they don't want to talk too much about yeah. being in the military for fear of, fear of scaring off the recruiters or looking like they're bragging or something sure. like that.
2: No, I I definitely think that it's a mistake if you don't call out your military service on your resume as well as when you're talking about your experience. It's something that sets you apart and really sets you above the rest. Um, you know, anytime if you're hesitant to disclose your military experience because you think that an employer might not hire you, then that's probably not somewhere you want to work, anyways. You know, mm. if you want to be successful in your transition, you need to find a company that's a good fit. It's not just about them interviewing you and hiring you. You're interviewing them. This is your chance to choose not only where you work but what you want to do. Um, and you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there. I get it. It's daunting. You submit all these applications. You don't hear back right away. Um, but you really do need to find the right fit of company and that comes down to culture and somewhere that's going to appreciate and understand your service and continue to recognize that working there and utilizing that to help them find other veterans like you, um, and you know other people with those with those awesome skill sets. So you definitely need to call that out.
0: Definitely, and of course, visiting jobs.hilton.com military, and uh, you know we're talking so positively about it. This might seem like a paid advertisement. I guarantee you it's not. This is just a fantastic program through Operation Opportunity that's helping veterans find work. 10,000 already on the payroll at Hilton, and they're looking to bring 20,000 more on. And on that page, there's a listing of jobs that might be uh, good for certain members of the military, particularly those who work, it looks like, uh, for these jobs that are listed here in the admin. And technology aspects, which are vital to any business. I mean, they are some of the jobs in the military that translate the best to the outside world. Things like a night auditor in Tampa, Florida, a manager of tax operations in Memphis. Uh, assistant Director of Finance at the Waldorf Astoria in Park City, Utah. A variety of jobs out there. Accounting clerk, payroll clerk, uh, what's this one? Manager business continuity and crisis management technology. That sounds scary. There's some know.
2: crises in the military
0: that have to be managed, <laughs> There's, right? some, Yeah, one yeah. or two. Every once in a while, you yeah. might yeah. have a crisis out there. Uh, certain commands, you have one just about every day. Um, <laughs> you know, So, yeah, there are a lot of things that veterans can bring to a team and Hilton is looking to bring veterans to their team. So I want to ask each of you, and we'll start with Christina, who do you think in the veteran community should be looking for work at Hilton? Is there a specific type of veteran that should be looking to join the Hilton team?
3: Any and all of them. I mean, I Lauren's really on the recruiting side, um, but I come one, come all.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think – The you don't necessarily think about the hospitality industry when you're getting out as Mm. an industry to look at. But like you just mentioned, it's not just about customer service. It's not just about housekeeping. We have the accounting and finance. We have legal. We have marketing, we have uh, security, we have engineering and property operations. There are so many different skill sets that we need, whether it's something that translates directly from what you did in the military or you want to do something completely different. Just because you were a cook in the military doesn't mean we're going to stick you in the kitchen. We have so many different areas that we can translate your skills into, and it's really all on-the-job training at Hilton. We don't require degrees for our positions in our properties and that's also not going to hold you back from moving up you can move up really quickly so it really is an awesome industry to get into
0: and it's one as, as we mentioned a little bit earlier and touched on it's one that's not going anywhere people always need hotels to stay at The Hilton Company, as you said, 100 years. You guys have been around as long as the American Legion. Think about that. And, of course, uh, with Conrad Hilton's military service during World War I, it was something very important to him and something that has continued on through the Hilton Corporation and their properties around the country and around the world, really. If people are interested in finding out more directly, more than just say, you know, uh, oh, okay, they have a job here. I'll go to a website and click on there. Is there a way for them to contact Hilton directly and to get in touch with people and find out what might be available for a veteran out there?
2: Yeah, definitely. We have an email address that comes directly to our military team. It's just military at Hilton.com. Really easy to remember. And someone from our team will get back to you and uh, answer your question and see how we can help you out.
0: There are, as I said, plenty of companies out there that have said, we want to bring veterans on. And some of them will even throw numbers out there. Starbucks comes to mind. And then our friends at, friends at Black Rifle Coffee Company who uh, went at Starbucks for a, an earlier number that they said anyway. <laughs> oh. Long story. Yeah, it was a long story. Just it was the a, with
3: them last night. <laughs> it, was, it was
0: a big, big disagreement between those two organizations. But when we look at 10,000 on board for Hilton now, and we've only got about a minute left, so I sorry for this loaded question. 20,000 more by 2020. That's the goal. How likely do you think that Hilton's going to be able to do that over the next 22 months, basically?
2: We most definitely will hit it. You know, we hit our 10,000 goal early. Um, We know the 20,000 is lofty, but, um, you know, this is something that came directly from our CEO. It's a company priority, not just an HR recruiting priority. So we will definitely make it happen.
0: Well, I believe you because you are confident in that and 10,000 already and getting there, as you said, so quickly. Fantastic thing. We want to thank Lauren Bacon, Senior Manager of Military Programs, including Operation Opportunity for Hilton and Christina Serignese, or Serignese, Hilton Worldwide Sales, <laughs> Government and Military Group Sales, whose brother is a captain in the Marine Corps. We want to thank both of you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us on The Morning Briefing.
3: Thank you, Eric.
0: We will be back tomorrow, and we are going to have more fantastic guests coming your way, including Joe Chinnelli, executive director of Amvets. Got a lot to talk to him about. We'll see you then. Have a great day. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.